0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Community Spread, a show about the spread of progressive ideas in a conservative community. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. Today on the pod, we have a conversation with Jazzy Lamboy and Joan Williams, a mother-daughter who share their experiences and anxieties and fears around raising black kids. Uh, This is a really important conversation and has a lot of practical application for white parents about how we can raise our children with less bias, prejudice, and racism. And at the beginning of every show, I like to tell you something that I've been thinking about or something that I've been learning. So today it is John Lewis, who just passed at 80 years old. He's the Congressman of Georgia, uh, but he's so much more than a Congressman, really a civil rights icon. And I've been learning about his life and his legacy. Uh, I've been learning about this concept of nonviolent suffering that I just found fascinating. And it goes back to 1961 in what they called the Freedom Rides. And many of you probably know all this history, but hey, I'm just Kev uh, learning learning over here. Uh, But the Freedom Rides were uh, protests against uh, segregation that uh, had been deemed illegal already. Uh, by the Supreme Court, but was still happening in the South. And so what would happen is uh, black folks and some white folks would get on a bus and they would travel uh, to the deep South and they would uh, ride into com- uh, into cities like Mobile, Alabama. And when they'd get there, they'd be met with mobs. And uh, I want to share with you some of his words uh, on uh, this this particular ride, particular ride into Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, in here, he he uses the N-word, and I'm going to use it too because they're John Lewis's words, Um, but uh, this is what he said. The terminal seemed nearly deserted, but then out of nowhere from every direction came people, white people, men, women, and children, dozens of them, hundreds of them, out of alleys, out of side streets, around the corner, corners of office buildings, they emerged from everywhere, from all directions, all at once, as if they'd been let out of a gate. They carried every makeshift weapon imaginable, baseball bats, wooden boards, bricks, chains, tire irons, pipes, and even garden tools, hose and rakes. One group had women in front, their faces twisted in anger, screaming, get them niggers, get them niggers. And now they turned to us. This sea of people more than 300 of them shouting and screaming men swinging fists and weapons women swinging heavy purses little children clawing with their fingernails at the faces of anyone they could reach i can't imagine that scene uh, john lewis didn't meet violence with violence uh, he would just get beaten he was arrested f- over 40 times and at the time, what I find interesting is that he was even at odds with other establishment members of the civil rights, civil rights movement. Thurgood Marshall, for example, who would later go on to be a Supreme Court justice, was uh, kind of against these. He's just like, we're putting black lives at, at harm, and this is dangerous, and it's not going to get much done. But the videos and the images of those freedom rides quickly led to the Desegregation of public transport uh, and to other advancements of, of desegregation uh, direct re, as a direct result of, of freedom rides and other and, and, and other movements uh, later on, John Lewis goes on to to give a speech at the march on washington and there 's a draft of his speech which he uh, was had some very inflammatory language and in. he 's a twenty three year old man at this point and on fire. And uh, Martin Luther King and others hold him back a little bit. And the lesson I can learn from this is that activists are made to make you feel uncomfortable. And so when you look at the protests, and if you're uncomfortable, that's their, that's their goal. And we need to feel uncomfortable. If we're gonna move, if we're gonna create a more just society, we must feel uncomfortable. I know we all wanna give hugs and we all wanna feel moderate, but uh, activists, that's not their job. So we need to thank those activists. You know, we have uh, lots of them in, in our community um, who are out there doing this work. And if it makes you uncomfortable, it's because it's they're supposed to. So, uh, you know, John Lewis uh, the uh, was integral in creating the Civil Rights Act of 1965. Uh, as he led the march in Selma at the Edmund Pettus Bridge and was beaten, uh, had his skull fractured, and the images from that uh, went national, and people that wanted to look away couldn't anymore. And that led to Black people actually getting the right to vote, which they would supposed to have for almost 90 years at that point, but there were all these... uh, laws in place that made it so, you know, if you were black and you'd go to register to vote, they'd ask you, they'd make you take a test. How many bubbles are in a bar of soap? And if you couldn't answer that question, then you didn't get to vote. And the Civil Rights Act made that illegal. Uh, But that Civil Rights Act has actually been gutted by the Supreme Court in in a decision in 2013. And we have seen states roll back um, the rights of black people to vote. And so this needs to be part of John Lewis's legacy uh, a law with teeth that passes to protect uh, the rights of black votes to vote black folks to vote uh, because they are being imp- infringed on in many states so I think there's so much to learn from from John Lewis and from others but um, I hope you guys uh, will get something more from this podcast as we as we carry it on and from this show so without further ado, our conversation with Jazzy and Joan. OK, well, hey, everybody, we have uh, Joan and Jazzy with us here today when we're just going to have a conversation uh, about race and about um, this historic moment that we're having and about um, Jazzy and Joan's uh, feelings about it and how it's how it's been. Um, Jazzy um, has been a friend of ours for quite a while now. She's uh, been a part of our gym for like, how long? It? Like, it's been like four years, maybe? Yeah,
1: almost four years. Almost yep, four years. 16,
0: 15, yeah. <laughs> and we've had lots of good times together. You know, she's enjoyed my famous quesadillas, yes. which are really not that famous. It's just uh, a quesadilla, basically, but she loves them. <laughs> <laughs> we do but (laughs) but what we haven't had is is a conversation about race and it's something that i wish we could have had when you lived here still and that i'm uh (laughs) that i'm that we're gonna reconcile now and and we're gonna have that that conversation and and i'm excited to to hear your guys's um your guys's life uh and perspective so we wanted to start uh Mm -hmm. jet Oh, Joan! (laughs) Joan is Jazzy's mom, who's also a friend of ours. We've gotten to know even a little bit more recently. But for just a second, uh, why don't you guys just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Where you're from? We'll start with Joan. uh, Where you're from? A little bit about your family. Okay,
2: I'm Joan Williams, and I'm originally from Florida. i joined the military, been all over a little bit, and we. Uh, landed in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and that's where we raised our family. Well, so now I'm here in Utah. Jasmine and Abbott tricked me to come here, and then they left me. But That's a whole nother story. So I'm here, but I have Jesse and Kevin now, so that'll help a little.
0: That's yes. right. And how, how many kids are in are your family? How many?
2: There's, I have six, six kids and 20-something grandbabies, 25, 26, somewhere around there. So it's a lot of us, pretty pretty close-knit family. Awesome. Yeah. Jazzy? I'm Jazzy. um, From
1: Colorado Springs, as Mom said. Uh, I think we got there when I was like four or five. Um, So raised in Colorado Springs, um, left for college for a year in Colorado, and then married Albert. And he's in the Air Force, so we've been all over. Wyoming, England, Utah, and now we're in New Mexico. I've uh, got two boys, um, three and a half and five months old, and our fur dog, he's 12, Our fur, furry, furry son, he's 12, and yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, a, a while back, um, just a couple of weeks ago, Jazzy had this post that she posted on Instagram and Facebook that was very powerful, and we just wanted to Uh, read that um, and and of start a discussion about about this
3: okay so she posts I am struggling this week my heart feels so heavy heavy with the burden that is only felt by the mother sister daughter auntie of black men this mistreatment hatred and fear of our men seems unending always living in fear of the world my boys are growing up in seems inevitable my sweet boys are so young and innocent, but it seems I'm constantly reminded that I'll have to snatch that innocence from them sooner than their white counterparts. My job as a mother will be to prepare them for the cold world that feels threatened by them just because of the melanin in their skin, while simultaneously teaching them to love others and not have, not to have a hardened heart. I'm exhausted for my community, my men of color. I'm exhausted thinking about these conversations. I'm exhausted from feeling like this story has been on repeat for centuries. I'm exhausted from looking through social media only to get misty-eye at everything I see. I'm exhausted. Um, that um, was a super powerful post. And I really appreciate your honesty um, in that post. because I feel like that's really hard to put out there a lot of times. So Jazzy, what were you feeling when you posted this like besides exhaustion all of the like what you said but like what led you to post that? So
1: when I posted that that was um right after Ahmaud Arbery's murder and then George Floyd just seemed you know right after that and I just felt like everywhere I looked um I was seeing you know black men being murdered you know needlessly and unnecessarily and brutally, and I can't, you know, I can't help but look at my boys and just, I don't live in fear in general, but just these last few months, it's like I look at them and it it's terrifying thinking of, you know, how, how I'm going to have to parent them, um, the things that, you know, Albert and I are going to have to tell them, um, you know, to prepare them to grow up in this world where they, they may be mistreated because of their skin and you know they're they're so young um you know malachi's three and a half loves everybody and everything and you know has no concept you know he just recently said something about my skin looking brown and his looking a little bit brown Um, so he's you know just barely you know but it's like i'm gonna have to talk to them and tell them you know this is what it is this is the country we live in not everyone is going to love you because of just because of the way you look and it's not fair, but it's something that I'm gonna have to teach them. So just when I wrote that, I was just, my heart was so heavy just with that burden um, of what I'm gonna have to tell my boys as they get older.
3: Yeah, that's a scary conversation to have to imagine to have with kids. Joan, do you feel like, did you have those same fears as your kids were growing up do you have them more now?
2: More, definitely more now. Um, for a couple of reasons. When the kids were growing up, obviously their father was alive, so he talked to the boys, give them the male perspective, to tell them what to do if they were stopped, and all of the things that we as African Americans, the extra moves we have to make, and then and then during that time. There wasn't a lot of fear for the girls because it was the Black men have always had a target on their back, but not so much uh, Black women. But now it's just if you're Black, period, whatever your gender is. So I feel a different sort of fear, and I'm not fearful to the point of, um, you know, just losing my mind or anything like that because my faith keeps me strong, but... My fear now is different because I have a lot of grandsons and I no longer have Joe share his male perspective and, to, and the things that fathers do. So that worries me
0: um, now versus before. Versus. John, tell me like, what were, you, you, just, you said your husband had a lot of those conversations um, with your boys. But you know, if you were in the room for some of them, but I, I think for us, we don't know what that conversation looks like or feels like. What is that conversation like that your husband or you had with your boys about a traffic stop, or you know, um, just so we can get a, like an experience uh, of that?
2: Well, particularly Michael, he's the youngest boy, and when he was beginning to drive, first learning to drive. His dad had the conversation. If you are pulled over by the police, put your car in park, you put your hands on the steering wheel so they can see your hands. So there's no no confusion that you're reaching for something or whatever. You say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, get your documentation, ID card. I mean, your driver's license, your registration, that sort of stuff. No flipping off at the mouth, because Michael was one of those. He would argue with anybody, anybody. And so Joe was very particular with Michael to do those things, so he would come home alive. And Michael had instances, one in particular, where it was a dicey sort of situation. No guns drawn or anything like that, but it shook him up. And he and three of his friends were together, three or four of his friends were together, and they were all uh, young men of color. So you just had to have those conversations and it basically put your children in a box. This is what you need to do to stay alive. Well, now we know in 2020, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. You can do everything that your Black parents tell you to do, and you still can die, or get beat up, or arrested, or whatever the case is. So what do you do now?
0: I, uh, I have to contrast that with uh, my experience um, with the police. Um, I specifically remember driving home from the movie theater one day, and my brother was driving, and he was 15 and not with a driver's license, and my dad was in the car. We got pulled over. My dad dad jumped right out of the car and met the police officer in the street. Um, That is privilege at its finest. Uh, You know, I'm certain that, and the cop, nothing happened. It was, you know, totally normal, but he felt the liberty and the 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 freedom to do that. And here you guys are in the same era having a completely, completely different conversation around getting pulled over and, and what that's like.
3: Jazzy, did you have, or Joan, did either one, did you have conversations with your daughters about things like that, like about safety things?
1: Uh, we never had the conversation as far as um, race. It was always being a woman. So I was just telling Albert, I remember when I got my first job, I remember mom sitting me down because um, I would get off, I think it was like 10 p.m. Park next to a street lamp. Hold your keys a certain way. So for me, the safety conversation was always in regards to being a woman, not necessarily being, you know, a black woman. Just being a woman. So um, I think, as mom was saying, I felt I feel like it was always we were worried about black men. You never really had to worry about, you know, black women. So I think that's why it never really came up because um, you never really heard much um you know and it definitely happened but this wasn't something you heard it it happened more with black men versus black women so our conversations regarding safety were always you know around me being a female Mm
0: -hmm. and so joan how are you feeling in in this moment now um you know you've you've lived through some some history how are you feeling in this moment as we are seeing um protests as we are seeing, um, uh, uh, what we're seeing and experiencing right now, how are you feeling about it?
2: Um, I feel a couple of things. I feel like we're in a revolution. I feel like this is different Um, because we're still protesting going on three weeks or into the third week. On the flip side of that, we just had another murder on Sunday of a guy in Atlanta, Rashard Brooks, who shot in the back twice. So this is after George Floyd. So me, that's just fuel to the fire. So I, I'm hopeful, and that's because of my Christian faith. I am hopeful that change is going to come. I don't think it's going to be easy, and I don't think it's going to be quick but I think it's going to be even more impactful than the civil rights movement. And that's just my opinion. Because every, the world is angry. When I see um, protesting in Germany and the the UK and Iran, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So the world is angry. The world is tired of black men and people of color period being treated like
0: we are. So that's how I feel. Jassie, same question to you. Uh,
1: Yeah, like Mom was saying, I I also feel hopeful. I've had a lot of conversations um, with my white friends, um, including both of you on separate, you know, separate conversations we've had. And um, even friends I haven't spoken to in years, um, friends who I would never really think have come to ask me questions or, you know, how can I start the conversation about race with my child? Um, You know, and those conversations that I've had are what's helping me to feel hopeful because it does feel different. I remember years ago I can't remember um maybe it was Trayvon Martin's death but I remember having some conversations with my white friends and they some of them weren't understanding when I would say you know black lives matter and they do the rebuttal of all lives matter and I just remember I, I had to disassociate with them because they just wouldn't understand and it seemed like they didn't want to and now I feel like I have friends um that Truly, genuinely want to understand, want to know what they can do to be better to help, um, you know. Want to know, you know, learn what the black experience is like. Obviously, you can't fully know because you're, you know, if you're not black, you will never fully understand. But even just wanting to be aware and, um, you know, being an ally, um, I see a lot more of that now, and that does, you know, give me hope.
0: Joan, what do you think's different? About about this moment, what do you what do you, th- you think's sparking? What do you think's different? Why 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 now? What do you think is happening?
2: I don't know if as a white guy you've ever heard this phrase: "When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired." That's where I feel the United States is, the the black culture in the United States. We we're tired. We are tired of you killing our boys, 12 years old. Tamar um, Rice was 12 years old playing with a toy gun and he was murdered. Black boys, black men, black women, Sandra uh, Bland, Rihanna Taylor shot in her bed, sleeping in her own home, Atiana Jefferson, her and her nephew playing games in the house and they just shot we sick and tired of it we just tired so i just feel like this is the moment where we're like no more no more you're not going to kill any more of our kids and get away with it
1: i think along with that um with you know the prevalence of you know like phone cameras and social media. We're seeing this, we're seeing it up close and personal. Um, it's been happening, but we're now really and truly seeing it. And I still have not been able to watch the video of George Floyd, I, I just can't. Um, but I feel like that video is one that people across all races, undeniable the mistreatment of the men in our community It's just undeniable how wrong it is. And not only in the black community, you know, we're sick of it, but everyone, like you can no longer deny the systemic racism, the prejudices against us. It's, you just have to be living under a rock, you know, in this day and age to not be able to see it. So I think that's another part, you know, it's in your face. You can no longer ignore it and we are at the point where something really does have to be done
0: about it. Yeah, and I think the the unfortunate part is, is communities of color have been telling us this forever. I mean, I think they have been living it and experiencing it. uh, And white people have been like, uh, oh, well, it's just a few bad apples. Or, Or first of all, it was like, no, that's not happening. Uh, And then second of all, it was like, oh, it's just a few bad apples. And, um, you know, it took a lot. And I think I fit into that category myself as I look back at it. Oh, it's just a few bad apples. You know, it's not. there's not a system. There's not a problem with the system here. Um, But as you said, Jazzy, like there's, it's undeniable now. And it's really, it's sad that that's what it took for us to believe you. And to believe your community, um, and I'm sorry, like that—that that sucks, you know. Um, but I do think that because now we we're like seeing it that there's there is that that change, and and it's the the change is happening quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just it, it's wild that that's that's what it took when you have been experiencing it for ever, literally ever.
1: Yeah, my, uh, my little brother, he recently did a video um, that he shared on Facebook, and he was um, just using some different examples of what it's been like in the Black community. And one of them, he said, um, is like a pressure cooker, if you have a broken pressure cooker. So we've been under all this pressure, and there's nowhere for that pressure to go. And once it reaches its limit, it explodes. And that's what's happening now in the black community. We've just reached our limit and this explosion, you know, of the protesting and everything and the world is seeing that explosion. And, you know, like I said, it's just, you can no longer ignore what's going on. And I think that's why we're seeing these changes. It will take some time and it's, it's systemic. So it's gonna, you know, I think that's why it's important. We're having these conversations, you know, with the generation coming up because that's where, I think that's where the change is gonna happen with our kids. You know, they're seeing what's going on now. And so as they're getting a little older and explaining it to them, they can be the ones that can help facilitate that change within the system. And I think that's where that change will start to happen.
3: I agree with you on that, Jazzy. I think it's gonna take generations of people to weed out racism and to have a louder crowd saying that's not okay and calling people out on not just not being racist but just letting racist comments go and not calling them out i think it's going to take lots of people calling those people out and that i think it's going to start with our kids honestly like i think it's going to be going to take a long time, but I hope that as we are raising our kids, we can do that and teach them that race is beautiful and it doesn't, shouldn't define how we treat people at all.
0: I um, am hopeful that the conversation has turned to solutions to the police violence problem. Um, defund the police uh, is a is a slogan that has been out and in the forefront of the media. And um, although our politicians are are not embracing that, they are having conversations around what that looks like um, and how we can we don't we don't have to have police to solve the homelessness problems and the addiction problems and mental health problems. And they should they don't have to be our first responders. We can reimagine. And that's where I think, like that conversation about an actual solution that 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 may, may have an impact, um, and and it not being and it it not feeling so radical for people to like think about that, I think that's a that's a big change, that's that, that's occurring and and hopeful for more than just like oh this is something that's going to be solved generations from now which it will take but there may be something um, that, that could get done. In the short term, to save lives.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, sorry. No, go, talking. go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you know those conversations. These conversations, like you know, this conversation we're having, um, the conversations that are happening, you know, between different communities, are starting to spark the bigger conversations. And you know, like you said, that is where change begins. So, just the fact that we're able to start thinking, you know, of real solutions and you know not just prayers and wishes you know i'm all for praying but you also have to put you know need faith and action you know you have to make the moves of what you're praying and hoping for so i think that's huge that we're you know able to in those higher levels have those you know conversations where we're starting to develop you know even starting to come up with solutions
0: Joan, do you have anything to add, anything you would like someone who's watching this video to know about your experience?
2: Well, I think um, people need to be educated. People need to read. Um, People need to go beyond the textbooks because you aren't taught American history in school. We taught white history, American history in school. We're not taught, we we aren't taught the true history. So, um, parents and children, and even those who are middle aged and, and, and older, if they want to know, they have to educate themselves. They have to know the real meaning of racism. Racism isn't just the Klansman, you don't know the definition of racism, the true definition and prejudice and bias and all of that, um, then you're just still blind to what's happening. So I'm a firm believer in education. I'm not a a teacher by trade, but I'm a teacher at heart, Jasmine can tell you that. And so I believe you need to read and research and then people need to vote. People need to vote. We can get these bad apples um, out of office, and we can get people in who believe that all people should be treated fairly. And so that's just a quick, that's my quick answer.
0: What would your number one book be for white folks like us to read to get educated?
2: Um, right now I'm gonna say White Fragility by uh, Robin D'Angelo. The first, just as a black woman, the very first chapter blew my mind just as a black woman. And then I'm in a book club on Facebook right now where we are studying the book and we have white people and black people and mexican people and some native americans i believe and to hear the white participants um talk about the book and it just renders them speech just past saturday it rendered them speechless two of the ladies because they realize um didn't realize the biases that they have so, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I think that should be the very first book. It's out of stock right now everywhere, but order it anyway, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll come in soon.
1: It is on Audible. I'm listening to it on Audible right now. I just started it a few days ago, and it's really good. Um, parts where I just have to like pause and rewind, and you know, very even as a black woman, you know, it's written. By a white woman for a white and white audience but you know like mom said it's for everyone to read it's educational for everyone um so i also co-sign on that
3: read
0: <laughs> you have any more questions
3: um jesse <laughs> i want to ask you if you have children's books that you mm-hmm. how would you suggest like what would you suggest white parents do to teach their kids about race because I feel like a lot of times kids will comment on other people's skin color at the grocery store. And when right, like kids comment on everything and they're loud when they do it. And I feel like oftentimes because as parents, we don't know what to say. It's always like, Oh, shh let's go. And I do feel like one thing that I have really learned and, love about our friendship is that when our kids are, when my kids are trying to um, think of someone's name that they can't think of, we will talk about like, okay, like describe them to me. And they have said, well, he has skin like Malachi, but not as dark as Jazzy's. Like, (laughs) and they use points of reference. Like, I feel like that's a good, and they'll see people and they'll be like, oh, she has beautiful chocolate skin, like Jazzy, like, or... And I think those are things that rather, I mean, for me at least, like, I think those are things that I don't want to like, let's go hurry and turn down a quick aisle. But like, yeah, they do have beautiful skin and acknowledge that. But what are your experiences or what do you want white parents to know? Uh,
1: So like mom said, she's, big on education and drilled that into us. So I started Malachi's library before he was even born. (laughs) So just been, you know, growing it over the last three years. Um, One book I got him, I think probably about a year ago, um, it's called I Am Mixed. Uh, I cannot remember the author right now, but um, basically because Malachi, for anyone who doesn't know, my children are mixed race. So for one, I wanted to get um, books so that he could see children that look like him in books. Um, I feel like that's important. Representation is very important. Um, But also we have books um, with children of other races and abilities so he can see that and it's normal. Um, So the book we have, I Am Mixed, Um, it's about um, two siblings that are mixed and then they kind of are referencing skin color in relationship to food. So one little boy says, my skin is like chocolate brownies, and another little girl. My skin is the color of peanut butter. So it's got you know all these shades um, uh, that mixed children come in. You know, so that one is uh, one of my favorites um, that we read. It also see like my hair is curly, like my favorite curly fries or whatnot. So um, I just think any book that can really expose, um, particularly white children, to children that are different shades. Um, I think that will be helpful, and you know, don't be embarrassed. Um, the grocery store comment you made—I had a child at the grocery store and said, "Look at that, ladies! Looks like her skin looks like chocolate." And mom was so embarrassed and just ran. And I mean, you know, I—I'm I'm a teacher of young children, so those are the things that I know. You know, a three or four-year-old would say. So it's not embarrassing. It's a perfect moment to say, "Yes, she does have skin that looks like chocolate." You know, what does your skin look like? You know, use those moments to teach your kids if you make it uncomfortable kids know you may not say anything but kids will know well that made mom very uncomfortable so then when someone mentions something about color of someone's skin that child will be uncomfortable and that's where that cycle is so um you know getting some books you know go to the library you know um Asian American Native American Get books about all kinds of races and read them. You don't have to make the discussion too deep, um, especially you know, like preschool age it doesn't have to be deep at all. You know, just oh, her skin is a different color. If your child notices, yes, it is, and you know, make it normal. You know, we have to normalize that people are different because people are different. Especially for children who might live in a community where they only see one race, it's even more important to expose them so that way when they're out of that sheltered bubble, it's not going to
3: be such a huge culture shock. I love that. Um, Someone asked me the other day, do you think my, so they had an experience at a grocery store where their child was like, why does that person's hair look so different? Because it was like, they had never seen like curly ethnic hair. And again, the parent was really embarrassed by that. And like, just be quiet about it. And they were telling me this. And I said, I would, and I want to ask your opinion on this. Like I said, I would hopefully have the courage to go ask this mom, Hey, can we have a conversation? My child noticed your child's hair. And can, I know that like touching hair is not a thing, but like, can my kid have this experience where they can know that like, Different hair. Hair comes in all different shades. It comes in all different textures. Some people have straight hair. Some people have wavy hair. Is that something that you would be like, is that okay? So I can't speak for
1: everyone. Um for me, I wouldn't mind. Um again, I'm I'm a teacher, so I love those moments, even if a stranger, you know, you know, excuse me, I'm just having this my son noticed this. You know yeah. is this okay for me, I'm gonna say absolutely you know that's fine um always like ask first, you know, I would say always ask first, um, but even if someone were to say no or they're not comfortable with that, just explain that you know explain to your child you know everyone is different, you know some people have hair you know that's curly, like you said, some people have hair that's straight. I find comparing you know hair or skin to something that you know kids are familiar with um. Malachi just recently had um, like the crinkle fries, not curly fries, but like crinkle fries. So now he says his hair is crinkly. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I find using examples like that for kids kind of helps them to understand, again, depending on their age, you know, always making it age appropriate, but, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely, you know, ask. And if they say yes, then, you know, spend a minute or two, it doesn't have to be anything long and drawn out, spend a minute or two. And if they say no, you know, still use that moment to, teach your child, um, you know, teach them. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I love it. One of my favorite things that I feel like we've really been working on is, um, we have the people colored pencils and the markers. Um, and so I feel like in school kids just say, well, give me skin color and they all grab for different colors. Um, but I, we've been, have, we've had the skin color, crayons and markers. Um, and so teaching them to ask for a certain, don't say skin color because there's an array of skin colors, but teaching them to ask for the appropriate skin color that they want to color has been really helpful and brought really great conversations about skin color and just has opened conversations about different races. And like you said, like hair textures and how people that have like like people that are really light, like Kevin and have lots of freckles. They sometimes have lots of red hair. (laughs) And so it's been, it's been a fun conversation to have with them and listen to them.
1: Yeah. I think it's great to make it light. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of anxiety around it. Um, I can't speak for like, as a white parent, obviously, but, um, teaching your kid anything, I feel like Maybe sometimes we think it has to be this huge thing. No, it's great. You know, you're having craft time, you're coloring, and it's just super light. You're coloring and you're having these, you know, conversations that are easy and simple. And that's all it has to be. So I think that's great.
3: I love it.
0: Awesome. Um, You guys have anything else to add to our conversation here today? Anything else you want to?
2: No, it's a good conversation.
0: I've had... A, a great time. You two are wonderful. And it's uh it's something that uh I'm glad we got to do. And uh so thank you so much for joining us Thanks, Jay, and for having soon. this conversation with us. It was great. Um look forward to seeing you again soon.
3: Jazzy,
1: I miss you. Yes. I miss thank you. you so. I miss you guys. I miss all of you so much. I know. <laughs> I <miss> you, too. <laughs> I'll take Utah over New Mexico any day.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, come back.
0: (laughs) Bye, Uh, guys. guys. And that's a wrap for our show. So don't forget to smash that subscribe button. And also uh, rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. That helps us out a lot. You guys have a good evening.